All right. Happy Thursday, everybody. Uh, I'm used to saying TGIM. TGIM, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> it is. Te- it is technically five o'clock somewhere. So uh, yeah, that is for sure. Happy Thursday. I want to give a very special thank you to Sheriff Alex Villanueva for taking time out of his Thursday, very very busy, busy, busy schedule, uh, to sit down and uh, discuss obviously multiple topics. Thank you, Sheriff. Oh, you got a pleasure to be here and uh, just uh, meeting with people from all walks of life and all ideologies, and uh, I don't discriminate. Well, with every guest that we have, we always try to um, discuss, you know, multiple topics. But before we get into the nitty gritty, um, we like to kind of go back in time, uh, talk about the guest, how you became, you know, a deputy and a sheriff and you know, what led to that? So uh, just really quickly, can we go back in time and tell us, you know, what made, you know, Sheriff Alex Villanova uh, go into law enforcement? Well, I was in, in the military back in uh, 83. I signed up after Reagan uh, decided that the Pell Grants that kept me in college were too generous. So uh, I had to find a, find a way to make a living. So I signed up in the Air Force. This is in Puerto Rico. And I wound up in uh, San Bernardino just by luck of the draw. And uh, from there, uh, I was working in the Air Force, and I went back to college to continue. And um, wound up at Cal Poly Pomona, working part-time and doing the, the National Guard. And uh, as I was and I was going to school full-time, then I, I've always been attracted to the public service and the public sector, and I enjoyed the military immensely, just tough to make a living there but then um i saw the ad for uh, hey be a deputy sheriff and i thought okay well you know that's uh that's right up my alley you know i like the paramilitary structure and the public service and all that then they told me oh you're gonna make 300 percent more and i was like what are you sure about that i could not believe it i went from i remember those days i think a 586 bucks a month as an airman when i first started Wow. To 2100 a month as a deputy. I said, okay, this is an easy one. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go. What, what year was this? This was 1986. Oh, okay. That's crazy. Huh? So basically... 25000 a year to be deputy in 1986. That's a lot of money that's, back that's then. That's good pay back then, though. Right? Yeah, well, well, well con- comparing to the military, yeah, it was outlandishly uh, good. So you became a deputy sheriff and just basically kind of ranked your way up? Uh, up to the rank of lieutenant. Nice. Yeah. The the department in those days, up until I took office, was a very uh, good old boy network uh, system where uh, if you weren't on the in crowd, you just didn't exist, literally. In fact, they even tell you that. Really? Yeah. And uh, so I said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change this whole thing. Put a stop to it? Oh, well, we did. Yeah. And uh, the complaints of whining from the very people that benefited from the good old boy system. In fact, there's some of my uh, candidates trying to unseat me now. The same crowd. <laughs> same crowd. They don't die. They just keep coming back. <laughs> oh, jeez. So San Bernardino County, and then how'd you, how'd you end up in L.A. County? What happened there? Well, I went to Cal Poly Pomona, so that got me to L.A. County. Okay, so mm-hmm. you, it was basically just a transfer. That's yeah. what it was? Mm-hmm. And then how long have you been with L.A. County? Uh, in February, it'll be 36 years. Holy yeah. crap. That's a long time. It's a long time, yeah. And it's a very long time. 
Somebody in this room may not have been around 36 years ago. I, just, I, I, I literally turned 35 like two weeks uh, ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm the baby of the group. I mean, well, we're all pretty young. I mean, yeah, we're all young. I was, but, I'm 83, so I'm not that far behind. I mean, you for you know 36 years, L.A., right? L.A. County. I mean, how has the culture changed as far as Los Angeles? Because, you know, nowadays... You look back and you speak to the older generation, they go, damn, I missed the 80s. Damn, I missed the 90s. I mean, how much has law enforcement, you know, affected the culture nowadays from back then? Well, there was uh, in the 80s, actually going from the 70s through the 80s to the early 90s, there was uh, ever an increasing wave of violent crime and the proliferation of the crack epidemic, and then the organized gangs selling crack on the streets, and that just really uh, created a massive upheaval in society, particularly in the poorest neighborhoods in L.A. They they bore the brunt of it in all the gang violence. I remember in East L.A., I got there in patrol in 91. I mean, people were dropping dead left and right. And uh, one station alone, East L.A., I think they had in one year, they had 55 homicides. That was one station. So you could tell you that life was cheap, unfortunately. And then the criminal justice system, the legislature in Sacramento were trying to figure out, well, how do we wrap our arms around this? So let's start the three strikes law, the sentencing enhancements, all those things. And some of them worked. In fact, quite a few of them worked. But there were some bad things within that. Because the concern about crack is they devote all this time about sentencing on possession of crack cocaine. Mm-hmm. But then that was the black man's drug of choice. But the white man with the powder cocaine, same drug, all of a sudden you had a, senten- you had a disparity in sentencing. And that was bad. It finally got corrected now, you know, in Congress, and now they're trying to correct the record. But those are, that's what happens when you don't think long-term the impacts of what you're doing. It could be a race-neutral policy, but when you look at who it impacts the most, well, that's when they weren't paying attention in those so, days. So sentencing was different for crack cocaine, and sentencing was different for white powder cocaine? Mm-hmm. I mean, what was the difference, though? I mean, who's well, they, category, right? Well, the drive was, well, it's it's so concentrated and has such a devastating impact, but it was still, it was just cocaine. Yeah, I mean, it makes no difference. <laughs> but that's the way it played out. And but are they categorized the, differently, or they're the same category drug? That's the way it came out in the sentencing guidelines. Are they considered class two, or they're um, they're the schedule? I think they're schedule one for schedule California, one. and um, but uh, nationwide with the federal guidelines, that was an impact, and then at the state level, same thing. So there's been a course correction, thankfully now, and now we're getting where it's neutral, yeah, and which is important. But it just shows you in a rush to try to address something if you don't pay attention to what you're doing you're you're screwing over an entire segment of our population so what did it take to actually neutralize it where where the sentencing for 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 a similar drug? it actually took a legislative uh efforts to to, to neutralize and reverse it mm-hmm. and yeah, i think you saw several presidents i think uh was i think i want to say actually was a bush junior i want to say was the first one that uh Came up with that. Uh, Bush Jr. said that 2001, so. Yeah, I think it was late in his term, like 2006, 2007. Okay. 
But uh, I'm sure there's a historian listening somewhere that's going to say, you're wrong. So I don't <laughs> that's, hold me to that's it. Normal. Yeah, that's normal. Yeah. <laughs> that's normal. That's normal. But as far as sheriff's jurisdiction, and this is something like a lot of people don't know, is uh, you, you look around city, certain cities, certain counties, you'll see, for example, like the city of Glendale, um, they have their own police department. Mm-hmm. You drive up north a little bit. It's the city of La Crescenta, which falls under Glendale. But you have the sheriff's department there. And a lot of people get confused as far as, okay, where is the sheriff's jurisdiction? And how come there's sheriffs here and there's no, no sheriffs here? Uh, where do you guys fall as far as uh, law enforcement? And where do you guys tackle all the crime? Well, there's 88 cities in Los Angeles County. And there's roughly 1 million residents who don't live in a city. They live in what's called unincorporated communities. We have 131 unincorporated communities. The largest one is East Los Angeles. They have about 150,000 residents. And uh, they don't have a mayor, city council, a municipal government, or a municipal police department. It's the sheriff's department that covers all the unincorporated communities in L.A. County. Those are contracts, right? No, not the unincorporated. It's not a contract. That's by law, by the state constitution, the county sheriff has to provide police services to the unincorporated communities, which in L.A. is just ginormous because the 4,100 square miles of the county jurisdiction that unincorporated is pretty, literally spread out overall. You can imagine the 4,100 square miles. Yeah, I mean, just East L.A. alone, I mean, it's a, it's a huge... A huge in terms of population, in terms of geographics, it's only about seven square miles. Yeah. But you go... Lake Los Angeles, you go to other places, all of a sudden you're talking about hundreds of square miles. And uh, that's uh, one part. But the 88 cities, 42 of them contract with the sheriff's department. So half almost. Roughly half. And then 46 have their own police department, which is LAPD, the biggest city. And then Long Beach, uh, Glendale, Burbank, Beverly Hills, Santa Monica, all those. They're the other 45. Why are some of these cities not incorporated? Is it due to funding or Un- the uh, the unincorporated communities? Yeah. Why they don't incorporate? Uh, there's politics involved. There's a what the tax base can sustain as a city operation. Like East Los Angeles, there's been a drive to incorporate East Los Angeles as its own city. And there's a there's activists and particularly in the Chicano movement going back to the 70s, I believe they've been pushing for that. But then there's resistance. From the board of supervisors yeah. against that because oh, if you look at a map unincorporated areas tend to be poor mm-hmm. and then the incorporated cities that surround unincorporated communities tend to steal their valuable commercial districts mm. and their business districts they don't want the residential communities because there's nothing no tax base to sustain them but they want the business district look at East L.A. unincorporated in the City of Commerce incorporated. You look at the map and follow the lines, and you realize, wow, all the business stayed in commerce and all the residential stayed in unincorporated. And wow. commerce is a very wealthy city. If you look at it per capita, what they're in East L.A. is uh, dirt poor, and that's the impact of this incorporation battle between unincorporated and incorporated. So it's politics at the end of the day. Oh, at the end of the day, yeah. The Local Agency Formation Commission, LAFCO, and they're, I think, appointed by the Board of Supervisors. They pick the winners and the losers. And if a body or parcel wants to be annexed to a city, and it's a lot of it has to do with, well, my business, if I have an address in this city, is better than if I have an address in this other place. Definitely. And so that, that game is played. 
So going back to kind of the uh, crime as far as in L.A. County goes, over the last 36 years that you've you've been in law enforcement, how, because from what I could see, I've been here for 34 years. When we first moved out here, um, there were a lot of areas of L.A. that were almost prohibited. You couldn't even drive through those streets. because like Glassell Park was oh, literally yeah. Yeah. You next know. to us, but we would just never go was there. It, it was at 18th Street. There was a couple of it other. It was Glassell Park, Eagle Rock, Echo Park. Uh, what else was it? Mount Washington. Yeah. There was there yeah. was times you didn't, like, as soon as the sun would set, you're like, okay, don't go there. Don't go there. Like, I had a buddy who would, who would tell me, he was like, hey, I got to go pick up, uh, I bought something on eBay. I got to go pick it up. Will he come with me? I'm like, oh, sure. He's like, where, what time are we going? He goes, oh, about 6 o'clock. I'm like, oh, perfect. I'll get off work. We'll go together. I'm like, where is it? He goes, Echo Park. I'm like, bro. Let's stay uh, yeah, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> wow. I'm like. But now, but, ironically, but, it's one of the But it's changed areas. over the it's years. Changed. But yet recently, and I don't know, and that's why I want to kind of get your perspective because you're, you've been in this for, for over three decades now. Have the statistics actually improved over the last few decades? And is it more recently that we're seeing more of these, you know, snatch and grabs and these robberies and uh, shootings and all that that's been happening? Or is it is it just what the media is portraying to, to try to cause chaos and panic uh, within the community? What, what's really happening as far as that goes? I can tell you that comparing today to back in the early 90s, mm-hmm. violent crime overall is less today. However, the air was pointing in the wrong direction. It's going back towards those gory days of the late 80s and early 90s. And we're trending in that wrong direction. Property crime is far more prevalent today than in those days. Because it was gang violence was all the rage. The carjackings, right. the shootings and all that. But you didn't have 40 people running into a Louis Vuitton and cleaning yeah. out the place. That was unheard of at any point. And when the riots in 92 happened, the place that got burned down was South L.A., South Central. Yeah. It wasn't uh, all the, it wasn't the promenade in, in Santa Monica. It wasn't the uh, ocean walk there in, um, in Long Beach, for example, or Fairfax or Beverly Hills. So come 2020, then it, it flipped. Now it was all towards targeting affluent shopping areas. And now the smash and grab the looting and all that is targeted towards uh, high-end ret- retailers. But what's been the cause of that, though? Why has it shifted from gang violence to now just... Well, uh, the gang re- violence is always there. Mm-hmm. I think they got smarter after the big wave and then three strikes kicked in. And then some the worst of the worst got locked up for a long, long time. And that worked out very good. In fact, it wor- worked out so good that the woke activists today won't admit that that's the reason why violent crime peaked and then it started going for like a 20-year decline. And it bottomed out right around 2019, 2020, and now it's creeping back up again. But we had over 10 years of steadily declining crime rates, which was was a good thing. And all of a sudden now, wow, here we are uh, revisiting, you know, the bad days. And that's because now we have the... uh, the, re, the alleged reformers are not reformers. Uh, Gascon, Prop 47, zero bail schedule. The combination of those three things is what's driving all this wave of, of violence and of theft that we're seeing today. Yeah, because last year, after the George Floyd incident, 
you know, riots broke out everywhere mm-hmm. throughout the country. Uh, L.A. was one of them where, you know, we saw a significant amount of looting, destruction, where businesses, you know, were affected by COVID. Now they were basically boarding up windows and completely shutting down and taking losses as far as for damages. Long Beach alone, I mean, there was buildings that were burnt down. At the same time, you know, with COVID going on, you know, Gavin Newsom released roughly, what, 76,000 yeah. inmates that were basically in jail for robbery, small crime, theft, burglary. And then violence stopped. And you were like, all right, you know, everything's going back to normal again. And then all of a sudden, you see videos pop up, smashing, smashing grabs, robberies, people following people home, um, stealing watches, cars. Do you think the 76,000 inmates that were released for those small crimes are the ones kind of instigating all of this and the whole three strike rule that you're talking about where, you know, they're going into jail and within 24 to 48 hours, they're out. Is that number even accurate, though, 76,000? Or have they been released? I don't think that number is accurate, 76,000. I think it was a proposal to release up to Mm 76,000. But what actually got released, I think, was a number that was lower than that. Lower than that. For example, and I know for my department, we started at 17,000, and we were like a sitting duck because we had the nation's largest jail system in a pandemic. And, oh, my God, if what, what happens? We still have to have people, one, work there and live, and then we have the inmate population. And if it, what we knew about the pandemic in those days is not a, was not a whole lot, and we had to find a way to uh, depopulate the jail as much as we could safely, to create more space so we could isolate, quarantine, treat, triage, do all those things, which we were able to do incredibly well. So we dropped it from 17,000 to just under 12,000. So it was roughly about 5,200 inmates were, were released, or not inmates, individual inmates, but in the, co- in the course of the year 2020, we took in 110,000 inmates. And some spa- spent a day, two days, others spent the entire time. They never released. So we reduced the influx of inmates into the system. We increased the number of inmates being released. So you can see that's what caused it to to drop. Mm-hmm. Just like opening the drain and shutting off the inflow of water. Same thing in our jail system. It's that big. And How, how big is it? How many cells? Well, 17,000. We have seven jail facilities. Mm-hmm. And the next closest jail system to ours is about half our size. So it's it's big. And uh, we had um, the goal was to keep incarcerated the most violent, the biggest threat. So the people that were near the end of a sentence, okay, we can let those one out. The people that can be released on their own recognizance or the ankle monitoring, same thing, those. People that are arrested for a nonviolent crime, property crime, were getting cited out and never made it to the jail. So that's how we started reducing the intake, and we increased the outtake. That's what brought the numbers all the way down. But the Board of Supervisors, in their infinite wisdom, thought, oh, well, we can keep it at that rate, and we're just going to cut your budget. Wahaha, and we'll close Men's Central Jail. Impossible. So that was ours, and we saw immediately an uptick in homeless people around the downtown LA area because those inmates were out and they didn't have a place to go yep we it was it became very all of a sudden there's a lot more pop-up tents all around the the 101 freeway going towards CJ yeah and going towards civic center area it became a lot more and just uh so 
that impact was very noticeable very early. And now that what we're seeing is the people that got released from the state prison system, they tend to be run a little bit older than the crowd you're seeing running into a smash and grab. Yeah, definitely. That's a that's a crowd is trending very young, probably still high school, probably a lot of minors involved, and uh, not the same crowd as the ones that are already doing time in state print coming out. Do you think uh, the fact that unemployment running out ending because when unemployment kicked in, there was it was substantially higher than what it is what it was before and what it is today because what was it september 15th is the la- was the last day of that bonus that everybody was getting as far as unemployment um it was right after that where crime all of a sudden as far as you know the smash and grabbing started taking place more and more and more and more do you think it was more of a okay you know what uh, i'm not getting what I, I used to be getting i was live i was collecting 1200 dollars a week from unemployment buying all this nice stuff well i can't buy it anymore let me take advantage of the system and break into the louis vuitton the apple stores the gucci's and all that and worst case scenario i get caught i'll be out within 24 to 48 hours well that part of the calculus is true true because when they reduce all the consequences for a crime you have a, a da who thinks that people shouldn't be charged with anything almost particularly and when it comes to property crimes you're creating that permissive environment where that calculation in someone's mind says, yeah, it's worth the risk. You know, if I get caught, what do we do? I get a slap on the wrist or a little ticket, and I'll see him in four months. In the meantime, let me go back to looting. And that we're seeing that play out. But um, for someone who was collecting unemployment, that is someone who was actually in a job that lost a job. Not quite the same mindset. I'd say more of the people that were doing EDD fraud that never worked it an honest day in their life, they're the ones that are would be the ones you see doing the smash and grabs. Yeah, it it, it almost seems like I mean, going back to the DA, Ga- how do you pronounce Gaxon? Is that Gascon? Gascon. It it almost seems like it's pre-planned in a sense to to create this chaos because why would you lift? Uh, why would you allow these people to to not face any consequences? Um, because that's that's a formula for disaster. He's been voted in, and now he's creating chaos, yet there's absolutely nothing that it seems like we can do about it. So why is it that... It, do you think there's some type of a pl- hidden agenda as far as creating this chaos to, to, to be able to then um, bring in kind of that socialistic type of, you know, the government is here to help you now if you can just... If you sign up to our assistance, our universal base income programs and all this other nonsense that this will fix the issue because, you know, they have to create a problem. And then in order to bring in their solution, right, which is a usually politically influenced solution uh, without the problem, they can't bring in the solution. You think this has anything to do with that or is it because because it seems like we have enough space in the uh, the jails, right? It's not it's not lack of space. It's more so lack of wisdom on behalf of the uh, politicians that are in office. Well, if you look at the way what uh, Gascon campaigned on, he campaigned on reform, reforming the criminal justice system. And every every system is uh, is suitable for reform if it doesn't, it's not operating at 100% efficiency in what system does. But 
he took reform to actually dismantling the criminal justice system. And his special orders, he never campaigned on any of those special orders. He left that as a surprise the, the Monday morning when he was sworn in. Oh, surprise, here's my special order. It was like Moses coming down from the mountain with the tablets. Mm-hmm. That was Gascon. Take it or take it. Wow. So that's not exactly a reform. And because he's one partner in the criminal justice system, or one one stakeholder. Would you consider the L.A. County Board of Supervisors a big portion of this problem? Oh, they are a big portion because not only they endorsed him, they're championing the same cause, the same agenda. Look at the composition of the board, and you look at all of the commissions that they uh, that they appoint all their people to. They all share the same very extreme woke ideology on the far, far left. Not a liberal ideology. This is woke. It's beyond liberal. And there's nothing wrong with liberal ideas and concepts and conservative ideas and concepts. Actually, both, they kind of complement each other, and it's a back and forth mm-hmm. that's healthy for a thriving democracy. Of course. However, when you have cancel culture, when you have this, this fake outrage where people can't even debate issues intelligently, well, there's no longer a debate. It's just a shouting match, and who has does the most shouting, and people just give up, and you wind up with a board of supervisors like we have. We have the public safety um, um, realignment team. We have the alternatives to incarceration, office of Di- diversion reentry. We have the whole reimagining thing with uh, the EMTA board, with uh, the Measure J, all found, uh, which was found unconstitutional. All of these boards, every single appointee has to, one, worships at the altar of wokeism, and you will not find a sane taxpayer, a parent, a public safety expert, law enforcement. N- none of these people are participating in this. So the entire conversation is taken taken uh it's being driven by the far 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 left so you come up with like the mta board oh yeah let's uh let's increase the hours to the homeless and then let's uh diminish the presence of law enforcement on our platforms what could the go- average person will just not use the mta they just it's exactly what's happening the the ridership is almost cut in half and it's continued to cut in half and as soon as these ambassadors show up and the cops disappear the ridership is going to disappear, particularly if you're a, a single female traveling by yourself. The last place in the world you want to be caught on is in a subway. Yeah. Because I would think, I mean, common sense, anybody with some common sense would think there has to be unity, at least between the county sheriff, you, right, and mm-hmm. the district attorney. Because you two kind of have to collaborate and work together, but mm-hmm. it doesn't seem I don't like think there's, there's, any, communication. there's any collaboration here. Well, it's it's. Let me let me point this to you. I understand that they've had 150 people leave his office already. Mm-hmm. That's 150. That's a an entire department. They may have like 1,100 wow. personnel. You lose 150. You have veteran prosecutors that I'm out of here. I'm done. Because you're very right. The sheriff, the district attorney, have to have a very strong partnership. It's at arm's length because they have different jobs in the, in the scheme of things, but the, the sheriffs and the police departments, we handle the calls for service, we do observation arrests, make the arrest, talk to the victim, victims, 
do the preliminary reports, the cops on the street, the, the investigators, the detectives, do all the follow-up and do all the interviews, get it all figured, get a pretty package presented to the DA, the filing DA at the courthouse, and from there, that filing DA then has to present the case in court. And then the investigator will be with the DA on one side and the public defender, private counsel, the alternative public defenders on the other side. But this is a weird case now where the cop is all of a sudden by themselves and the DA is now on the side with the public defender and the and the defendant. It's a very weird scenario because... So working against the government in a sense. Pretty much. I mean, everything that comes out of Gascon's mouth should be said by the public defender. Every single thing. Because you want to have a full-throttled advocacy on behalf of a criminal defendant. You want to have due process. You want to have a fair trial. All these things, right to counsel, and other constitutional rights guaranteed. We have to have that in order to be the United States as part of our, our constitutional law. But by the same token, you have to have someone actively advocating on behalf of the victim, on behalf of the people. You can't abandon that because it's your ideology that it's more important, the plight of the offender. I'd say the plight of the victim. And we can talk about the Board of Supervisors. Well, we want to talk about harm reduction. But for them, harm reduction is when the bad guy gets arrested, he suffers harm because he's in jail. Mm. And what happened to the harm to the victim, to the community? Apparently, that's not very high on their agenda. It's only the harm, they call it the harm, suffered by... The suspect, the crook, which is just a bizarre ideasism. Upside down. Everything is just upside down. (laughs) The dynamics is insane. By the way, guys, everybody like, share, subscribe. What we're talking about today obviously applies to all of us. Um, There's not one single person viewing right now that can say, oh, none of this is related to me. We live in the county of Los Angeles. We have our sheriff here um, who's... I mean, technically, you're one of the most powerful men in L.A. County. Uh, so I'm just a working man. You're being modest. Yeah, as far as <laughs> ranking goes, you are. And uh, this is all relative to us. So please share it on your social media, um, whatever you use, Pigeon Mail, MySpace, AOL, IG, <laughs> any of that. Because this is, this is important information to us. And we are getting an inside look from the sheriff himself this is not you know you're not reading the la times or some meme about the statistics and everything this is true facts that we're discussing so like share subscribe and uh let's move forward okay. yeah. uh do we have any questions from anybody as far as viewing we could get go, go to that and then yeah jump back well, onto we've got we've got a ton of questions um as far as uh, Gaxon goes, how how long is he going to be in, and is there a way to get him out? Because well, he, well, there's a there's there's a vote for him to be recalled. The he was <laughs> I understand he was served papers, recalled papers this week. So there is going to be a well organized campaign to uh, recall him, and it's um, it's going to be up to the voters ultimately. Which is a huge waste of money at the end of the day. The recall, recall definitely. Yeah, I mean because you don't think it's going to. Similar to the come on Newsom's, Newsom's re- recall, how much no, money was spent? that? You don't no 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 no. This is this is not going to be a waste. One, he's at the beginning of his term, and the 
the polling numbers I understand is uh, he's going to be recalled because we had 31 cities that voted a vote of no confidence against Gascon. 31 cities. We have a whole state that has no confidence in Newsom, and he didn't but get recalled. He didn't get recalled not because there was a there wasn't a will to replace him. The California Democratic Party pretty much told every Democratic politician to stand down and don't challenge the boss. You don't think the same is going to happen in this case? Can't happen because one, there's no, there is a bunch of people that are going to run against him, and it doesn't matter. It's going to be an either or Gascon, and Gascon's got to go. He's going to go, and then it's going to be up to the people that run in the recall election to whoever makes the best case mm. presented. But it's a, it's a different dynamics there. The one for Newsom, had they put any moderate Democrat, anyone, probably would have done a very different outcome than the because it became Newsom or Larry Elder. Yeah. And then if you just keep it Newsom and Larry Elder, that's a very easy sell when you have a Democratic Party that has, what, 70% versus 30% or some number like that. That's the result you get. But if it was Newsom versus... Uh, what would another, be a great example for that? If you had anyone else running against Newsom, who would you want to see in that seat? It's not Larry Elder. What's the name you would want to see there? I haven't I haven't met that person yet. And uh, there's people out there that could do it, but they tend to shy away from getting involved in politics because it's a, it's a dirty business at the end of the day. And uh, now that I've actually seen it up close and, and personally, it's even more dirty than I originally thought. Yeah. And uh, so maybe Caruso, <laughs> someone who is can uh, uh, go above politics, party politics, yeah. and focus on rescuing the state of California. Because look at, I mean, we're we're descending into a third world status. We have half of the nation's homeless are in California. We have uh, companies bailing out. All these companies that are headquartered here. They're leaving to greener pastures. Right. People can't even afford to come here to to live much less you know you get a job here great but you're not going to live anywhere now look at the the cost of, look at how many uh, jobs were created up in the bay area but then how versus how many housing was created yeah. it's like yeah there's a uh, 500,000 jobs but only 100,000 housing units okay well that's going to be a mathematical problem right there but the politicians are oblivious and they don't care and then the governor says, yeah, let's send all the homeless throughout the nation want to enjoy the California dream. Yeah. And uh, so there's a, a huge mismatch between what politicians are saying and what needs to happen. And that's at the state level and that's at the county level. Is it because, because here's what I've heard from, I mean, we even somewhat experienced it with uh, President Trump was that the aspirations you have, the agenda, the plan you have, is not always you're not always able to implement because once you get into office reality hits and then you know you've got the lobbyists and the, the people who fund you and who pay for your campaign and all of a sudden you have to become political right so is that part of the problem where you think some of these people in office just don't have as much power as the well, position itself uh should have because they're being influenced by donors or lobbyists or whatnot I'll say that is very true of the mayor of L.A. because the mayor's position has been weakened mm -hmm. to the point where now the collective council people 
have more power and ability to exert influence over the operations of the city than the executive branch, which is the mayor. Mm. And that is a structural issue with the, the city. And they're dysfunctional to the core. But I campaigned on a variety of things. I campaigned on kicking ice out of the county jails, getting body-worn cameras, becoming as transparent as we can be, uh, shattering all the glass ceilings that prevented women and people of color from advancing in the organization. And we've done all that. What about the internal gangs issues that we went over very little in the beginning, but I would like to get more into that. Very good you mentioned that. I'm glad you mentioned that because it turns out that the entire argument out of gangs is fake. It's been fake from the very beginning. The driver of that are a handful of attorneys and their their clients who are suing the county. So they make an allegation there are deputy gangs. Yeah, that's it. Then they're trying to get a bigger payout for their case. It might be an excessive force case, a deputy-involved shooting case, things like that. And when you go to the facts, I mean, the definition of a gang in California in the penal code is three or more people who are engaged, who have a share, uh, share a common symbol, name, or engage in criminal behavior are designed we, to is, further. Is why is not a gang? We're three. <laughs> so we're considered <laughs> a gang now? <laughs> there, there you go. There's three of you, and see, that's how insane the, the conversation wow. is because then, okay. <laughs> Find me three deputies that share that and engage in criminal behavior designed to further their yeah. their agenda. their agenda, their organization, and all of a sudden it falls flat. Two two lawsuits recently been thrown out of court, and the funny part is, is these lawsuits were the ones that got all the press. CBS has big expose about deputy gangs. Rolling Stones, Rolling Stones magazine, they're wrecking havoc. All these things, but then when it came to, okay, let's show the evidence in court, crickets, there was nothing. So they got thrown out with prejudice twice already because there is no evidence of that. Are there evidence of deputies getting tattoos, going to parties, and acting drunk the fool, and making, you know, getting into fights? Yeah, except that's not exclusive to law enforcement. Happens in fire departments, happens in the LAPD, in the military. College fraternities, are they all of a sudden gangs? No. No. So the point is, the entire narrative about deputy gangs is a fake one designed to discredit the sheriff's department, and it also has a racist undertone to it. Yeah. Uh, Jerry's commenting, saying uh, there are um, the gangs are very well documented. Uh, this is not just a rumor. There are photos of sheriffs with gang tattoos. Uh, he's, he's basically called, he's saying you're lying. Well, that... that person if you're so sure of that identify one that's what it is i mean if if you if it's documented if there's photos all right it's a photo of a a photo of a tattoo uh, you know he's mentioning a a gang tattoo basically so well they're not gang twos i can tell you this i can identify i'll pull any random five real gang members with a real gang tattoo and i'll pull their rap sheet and they'll have robbery grand theft auto carjacking Violence. All the violence, and that's what a gang member looks like because of what they do. Yeah. So the person is, I mean, they want to believe that. Oh, they were, and it's an easy one to sell, especially when you have that, uh, what do you call that, um, that bias already in you that you don't like law enforcement, law and order, or anti-authoritarianism streak in you. Oh, yeah, they must be all gang members. But that sounds like our more personal problem because 
as a sheriff, I have to go by facts and evidence. And I'll give you a simple example of this. Lee Baca, remember him? Yes. Mm-hmm. Back in the 2011-2012, he fired seven deputies. Suppose they were a member of this group called the Jump Out Boys. I think they were a gang enforcement team deputies or something. And they had a tattoo, and they were Jump Out Boys. So he fired all of them, seven. Six of them got their job back. When you came into office? Or no. During his time? Before I came into office, my predecessor, and they, these were all lawsuits, and six of the seven got their job back. Why? Because they were not involved in any misconduct. So there was I, investigations done. They yes. actually looked into it. and Not only not only there was no, well, they were fired. I don't know what kind of investigation they did, but apparently it wasn't very good. Because if you don't have any evidence of misconduct, I can't fire somebody for a tattoo. Especially a tattoo that's not visible. That is so against what the First Amendment represents. There's no way you can sell that one. And that's how six of the seven got their job back. The last one got his job back this year. I had to pay nine years of back pay to this deputy. Wow. Well, no, I didn't pay. You did. We did. You paid nine years of back pay. You paid nine years of overtime behind someone who did his job while he was at home growing his beard. And you also paid for the attorneys of both sides. So the taxpayer was stuck with this massive bill, all because of that gentleman right there says they're deputy gangs. It doesn't pan out in real life. So if you got facts, you got evidence... Give it to me, and we'll handle it. If you don't have facts and evidence, all you have is a Rolling Stone magazine. Oh, look, there's a report. Well, I can say there's a report of you. Write it down, and there's a report of you being, I don't know, Bigfoot. Write it down, and hey, there's a report of Bigfoot. It must be true. So, that I mean, we got to deal in reality, bottom line. So, when you first came into office, Sheriff, from day one, L.A. County Board of Supervisors worked against you instead of working with you. Now, they are, are they the ones funding the sheriff's department? They fund this. Well, I should say they're now defunding the sheriff's department. But, yes, yes that is their responsibility to fund all 37 county departments. And they've been pretty much working to uh, discredit me, defund me since I've taken office. Actually, even before I took office, they were already hatching their plan. And the sad thing is that, I rely on them for the funding. The public relies on them for the funding. But right now, they cut away 1,281 positions. Two years, fiscal years in a row, they took more than $100 million out of my budget. I started $101 million in the hole. I'm $22 million in the Service. black. No, 20, $101 million in the hole when I started. That was my starting point. They had no problem with that when it was their favorite sheriff their pet sheriff, the sheriff on a leash, he could run up a bill and they just, yeah, it's just an accounting error and they wipe it clean the next <laughs> year. I'm $22 million in a surplus after being handed anchor after anchor while I'm trying to stay afloat. Mm-hmm. And they freeze my hiring so I can't hire anybody. They freeze my service and supply budget and they remove 1,281 positions that the community desperately needs to fight crime, to fight smashing grabs, to fight this incredible rise in homicides. Detectives. Yeah, we, we need detectives. And I need a, uh, a pipeline of people going into the academy, going to custody, going to patrol, 
go into the specialized units. And we got to keep feeding that because as my homicide investigators sitting on 30, 35 years on, they've earned a, a retirement. And all we're doing is telling them, well, there's less of you. Here's a bigger workload. Screw you. And it's, it's just not working. It's so counterproductive. I don't mm-hmm. I mean. They it, have a hatred. And there's two in particular. That I'm going to identify Holly Mitchell and Hilda Solis. They have a deep-seated hatred to, towards all things law enforcement. Since I've been in office, not a single supervisor has ever gone on Peace Officers Memorial Week, which is in May of every year, to our ceremony honoring the 535, I think, Fall. peace officers that have fallen in L.A. County doing their job. Not a single one has done that. I've been in, I go to the Orange County one because we have actually four deputies on the wall in the Orange County mm-hmm. Memorial. The whole board of supervisors is there. The DEA is there. Do you see the difference? Oh, there? it's a huge difference, and we're just right next to each other. Yeah, and see, the citizens are so much happier in Orange County than mm-hmm. they are in LA. I mean, where are we going with this as far as this whole defunding the police and crime rates going up? I mean, do they not see you know, what's happening? I mean, the media is talking about it daily. Mm-hmm. Every single night, you turn the TV on, Fox 11, KTLA 5, K, you know, uh, Channel 9. Everybody's talking about another str- smash and grab situation. Another home robbery. There was a gun store robbery. Yeah. I, I just yes. got a message. Yes. 40, 40 firearms, yeah. I think. Yes, was. and it was in Orange County, Garden Grove. Garden Grove, yeah. yes. Yep. So, I mean, where, where does this kind of... They, they talk about being the woke community, quote-unquote. Well, I want to stop you right there on that woke thing. That's uh, I can't cuss here in this format. You can. Yeah. You can say whatever you want to say, sure. Oh, okay, well, they're woke when it's convenient for them. I'll tell you that, and I'll give you an example. Remember when I talked about kicking ICE out of the county jail? Yeah. I campaigned on that. I did that. I didn't just kick ICE out of the county jail. I stopped all transfers to ICE custody. Mm. I stopped them cold. And I found out that they were the Board of Supervisors was selling the undocumented inmate database to the federal government in exchange for money. From 2005 to 2018... They earned $122 million by selling the undocumented database, which ICE used to deport people. Sure. Wow. The, the same thing is... Yes. These are the same people that sell, they celebrate themselves and revel in their wokeness. We're selling out the undocumented. That includes Hilda Solis. This is serious crimes. Yeah, well, it's not a crime. It's all legal. Legal. Incredibly immoral. It's unethical. But legal. But it's unethical because the same people then are trying to throw rocks at the sheriff's department is somehow we're some Neanderthalic ogre <laughs> when we're actually the ones defending the undocumented, you know, and trying to protect a community so they're not afraid of law enforcement, which is very important because when you've got a million undocumented residents in your county, you cannot have a relationship with immigration because then you're always going to be perceived as an arm of deportation it doesn't it, it like it blows my mind it's like okay let's defund the police but at the same time let me let me let me, make a, let, me let me make a bonus and send information to the federal government so it's, it stopped cold when i took office because i didn't in fact when i was campaigning i did not even know that they were selling out the undocumented so in about february of 2019 i was a few months in and they asked me are you going to renew the scap grant i said what's a scap grant Oh, it's a state criminal alien assistance program. 
in so 122 million dollars it's about three to 15 million it fluctuates every year and they've done it from 2005 to 2018 and i thought holy shit i wish i had known that during that campaign i would have made my life pretty easy (laughs) and uh so i said no we're not doing it and so then my next meeting with the ceo and we rejected it she said well you're gonna have to make up the money i said that's blood money you never should have accepted in the first place there's nothing to be made up so you can see where how disingenuous the board is when they want to try to portray themselves as you just made enemies oh yeah from the very (laughs) yeah you can tell but the point is the point is i did it on principle i got hate mail from the trump white house from cuccinelli i think he was the acting uh uh, DHS uh, secretary mm-hmm. but the point is it was one based on principle not political ideology it's just it might be a different equation for a county in Kansas or somewhere where they had different dynamics but here in LA County we're ground zero of the undocumented universe in yeah. terms of residents and if I have yeah. a million people that are not going to report being victims of crime witnesses to crime that's really really bad because a lot of bad things are going to be happening so and I measure the pros and cons, and our way forward is that let, we want immigration to do their job. We want a secure border. But the point where immigration should make contact in the criminal justice system should be at the state prison level. When that sexually violent predator is going to be released who's undocumented, oh, God bless, yes, you need to go back to your country. No problem there. That is appropriate, but at least it's a degree of separation from local law enforcement. And that is, that is yeah. a just it's fair and is based on just the cold hard facts on the ground that we have to deal with but you never know that that the board was doing that all along well that's similar to kind of what you've also you're investigating is the the fulgent lab right Mm -hmm. you have similar concerns as far as well we have concerns about it and then i looked at uh the county setup with fulgent and they have a you know every time you uh sign up for anything there's always an opt-out thing Mm mm-hmm the county disabled the opt-out. This is for the mandatory COVID testing for, for county for, employees, right? Right. Well, f- actually for registering into the system, this and that was uh, the county system run by Fulgent. They weren't. They did a population study where they wanted to know your, uh, your, your gender you identified with, gender at birth, sexual orientation, all these things. And they claimed, well, we're going to do an equity study about the vaccine. But the point is... Anytime you do a survey, we're asking such very personal questions, there has to be informed consent at the very beginning. There was no informed consent. There's a thing called the institutional review board process where you have to go through and figure out how is this going to impact the people that are going to participate and have an okay on that before you move forward. They blew that off. They said, oh, you're hostage, you're all employees, you're going to be forced to do it. Totally inappropriate, absolutely unethical. And that was a red flag right there. But then going past that part is that they disabled the opt-out feature. So you can't even check, check you can't it. Even, you can't even check it out. It was, it, it was there. It said, if you do not wish to have your data shared, uh, click this box. But you couldn't click the box. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, okay, we're done with this. We're going to move on to an in-house proprietary system. We control everything. And that's what we're doing right now. And it's in the uh, process right now? Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, we're now we're at uh, nine about ninety six percent registration compliance. We're about four percent to go, so we're chasing the remainder. So 
What's going to be left over is the people who are vaccinated, which is the majority, and then the ones who are not vaccinated, uh, they're going to have to go through weekly testing. That way we're um, providing now, for both. Is it now a different lab or the same lab? Uh, different labs. Different labs. Mm. We've got a, go no, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, we have a ton of questions about CCWs. Mm-mm. Uh-huh. That's uh, almost everybody's asking yeah, about definitely. that as far as... Yes, and you're smiling. You, you, so you, you literally, you, I was literally gonna go. <laughs> that way you, I was literally gonna say that because you three know, questions just on CC. Yeah, because I mean, they they're messaging, they're texting, and I'm pulling down the text. I'm reading it. They're, they're saying, I think they're lined up outside, yeah, wanting to get there. Yeah, listen, guys, if you're outside, take your applications and just go home. Go back to work. It's what are you guys doing? But I, I mean, obviously, crime has been going up significantly. Um, you know, living in Glendale, living in Burbank, Pasadena areas, um, there's a very large Armenian community. Um, you know, I haven't noticed. No, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean, uh, call me biased, but I- I've noticed that you know the Armenian community has been somewhat targeted as well. Uh, whether it's you know some of them being you know successful business owners, you know driving nice cars, having nice watches and stuff. I mean. Where, as with the CCWs, I mean, who can qualify for something like that? Because uh, I I read minor things about it as far as somebody who owns a pharmacy, somebody who owns some, uh, you know, a, a business where there's you know, uh, controlled substances, they can they can acquire one. I mean, you you tell us what where, where can we start with the whole CCWs? Well, first off, I want to thank all the fans of the CCWs and the Second Amendment folks. You guys are special. The ones that use a WD-40 for aftershave, you kind of worry me a bit. <laughs> <laughs> that would be him. <laughs> when was the last time I shaved? <laughs> but God bless them all. We, um, we wanted, I wanted to make, when I took office, I want to make it the good cause reason to get a CCW to be obtainable. Because all the previous sheriffs said, oh, it's good cause, but it was an impossible cause. Because unless you're like a retired judge, you know, that knew the sheriff for 40 years, it, no one got it. So I think uh, my predecessor did like 194 CCWs. That's it. That's it. That it. Wow. wow. Out of how many people we have in LA? 13? 10 million. 10.1 million. 10.1. In how many years? And that was his entire term in well, office. There you go. So in his so predecessor. nearly impossible. And Lee Baca was pretty much the same, maybe 200 and change. I hit that mark my, I think, my third month in office. Wow. Keep it up. So we definitely made good cause obtainable. Okay, not an impossible standard, a realistic one. All I'm asking for is I got 10 million people in L.A. County. I don't need 10 million people with guns on the street. That's going to be very untenable. Yeah. We don't want to reinvent. Restart the make, Wild West again. It's going to make a few people nervous. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and very safe, so, too. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It just depends where you're at. Yeah, I think the topic, instead of saying, you know, oh, are you a vegan? Do you do CrossFit? It'll be, oh, what are you carrying today? <laughs> that, that's what it's going to be. So, so all I'm asking is that give me a reason why I should trust you to be armed in public. Not in your home. Everyone has a right to be armed at home in your place of business. Knock yourself out. And just be a responsible gun owner. Make sure your stuff is properly secured, accessible, obviously, when you need it, but secured so the wrong people doesn't fall into their hands. Right. Especially the people out there like to collect bazookas and all those exotic weaponry. 
you got to keep this stuff locked up because you're the ones that are the target of the burglaries and that stuff falls into the wrong hands and then we have to face that. Yeah. Clean, you know, up, and clean that, up the mess. Yeah, and that's and that's always a dangerous proposition. But um, just whatever you're... Give me a reason why I should trust you. And with that, then, we started issuing the CCWs and then people got wind of it because that's a very tight-knit community of CCWs. I mean, there's people that live and breathe the CCW and we just got flooded. Every day I get a box about yay big, about the size of a milk crate of CCW applications. So successful initially, we were cranking about a two 60-day, 90-day window until we just got buried in applications. So now you can see how the yeah. it's, it's really dragged out too far. So we're trying to find ways to uh, do it online, for example, and uh, to make it as uh, efficient as possible, as quick as possible. So we're, we got a business process expert who's pouring through how to figure out where we can tighten this thing up. But usually the delay is um, people come to do their interview. They don't have all the information. And it's kind of, okay, now you got to go back. So they're, they're oh, making it a back little, and forth kind of thing. Delays yeah, the process. That delays it some. And some of our operation was not very uh, effective. There was there was some time wasted, so we're we're cutting all those corners and making yeah. it a real quick, you know, one stop shop process, and hopefully they'll drive the number down. But we've given them to anybody in uniform, first responder that's in a uniform identifiable, that's good enough cause right there. Hmm. So we've issued them to city uh, to civilian um, uh, jail jailers in police departments, our jailers, our custody assistants, because. You work with crooks all day, you're in uniform. Odds are someone knows who you were and what you did when you hit the street, so that's an easy one. People have businesses that do cash deposits at night, a lot of cash trends. Those people, obviously, same thing, are infamous jewelers. Yes. You know, they're always, I mean, I feel bad for them because that's a tough job, and they literally got to walk around with bling. And, and I, my advice to people that, that like the bling, great idea, but. It has a risk attached to it. Yeah. So, you know, just be smart about it. So ostentatious display of wealth yeah. carries a risk attached to it. Just be aware of that. Yeah. And then... Um, pharmaceuticals was one of them as well, right? Pharmaceuticals, pharmacists, because we've had issues with that. People trying to get the Oxycontin, all yeah. the other things. Um, My real estate been hit up a couple of times. Real estate agents. Real estate agents. People that know that show properties in the middle of nowhere by themselves, you know, that's a person at risk. And for those of, you know, our office is probably watching this. I mean, uh, they're excited. There's there's been incidents where, you know, we've gone to show properties and there's people circling the block, circling the block. And, you know, that person doesn't have an appointment to see that property. Mm -hmm. And especially with females, it's more of a risk factor. That that was always my concern. And I'm thinking up in the high desert. Where our response, code three lights and sirens might be 30 minutes, 45 minutes, because they're so far flung in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And, uh, heck, we've had calls for service where choppers had to land and the observer get out to handle a, yeah. an emergency call because we couldn't get someone there in time. So those are things that are, those are part of the equation. See, like, literally, I'm not kidding you. Last week, we went to look, view a property. It was in Granada Hills. It was up in the hills. Nice area. Yeah. Beautiful homes. Uh, anybody who's going to be buying something there easily, easily, you're looking at like anywhere from one four to one seven. One point four million. One point four million to one point seven yeah. million. And you look at the cars parked there. You got 
Mercedes, BMWs, all these flashy cars. We get to the property, right across the street, there's four or five police cars parked. And then the upstairs window is smashed, smashed out. So you have a house for sale right across the street with the sign there, female realtor, male realtor, doesn't matter who it is, goes in there. If it's if it's wrong place, wrong time, that guy gets out. Oh, look, there's a vacant house right across the street. Let me go hide out there. I mean, it's it's a scenario where you're just like, you know, how am I going to protect myself? Yeah. Well, Matt, Matt, who's from Arizona, he says, when I come to L.A., I feel much safer in Arizona than I do in L.A. And obviously in Arizona, they can carry. Why is there... The, the question he asks is, why do uh, people in L.A. have to go through this process? Why can't there be a more of a open, uh, a concealed carry that's applied to any law-abiding citizen? Why do they have to go through the... Uh, because obviously, we all know, anytime we talk about the uh, Second Amendment and guns being taken away and all that, our concern is that criminals don't follow laws. They will always have yeah. access to guns, right? Yet we law-abiding citizens, I mean, these days you even want to buy just ammunition. You go through the background check and everything as if you're buying a rifle. It's the same process, except they don't hold it. They give it to you on the spot. But mm-hmm. but why, is there... Is that a possibility for L.A. at all? Well, that would be uh, that would be converting uh, L.A. or California to a shall issue state mm-hmm. like Arizona. Yeah, that, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's um, one is the hazard to law enforcement. That well, as it is, every crook that we're pulling over is armed. Imagine with the uh, the right to be armed. All of a sudden, now you're really really making life uh, pretty uh, difficult difficult for cops. In what way does it make it difficult? If, well, I understand with the crooks, but mm-hmm. let's say you pull me over, I'm carrying, you know, I have a right to carry. How does well, how does that become challenging for the, for law enforcement? If you're a law-abiding citizen with a right to carry, it may not be a challenge, but that also gives license to everyone who is not a law-abiding citizen the right to carry as well. And also now we're expanding the number of bad guys with guns on the street, and that is the, that is the danger. But aren't the bad guys carrying anyways? Uh, some of them are. A good chunk of them are. But that the very act of them carrying it gives us a reason to arrest them. Mm. You're taking away that reason. So that does not help us at all. Now, question for you regarding this. Now, obviously, you, you mentioned that you have a application galore inside the office waiting for CCWs to get issued um, with everything going on. Um, you know, you speak to people... They feel, you know, they feel scared when going out. They're with their wife. They're with their kids. Um, God forbid something happens. And a lot of these nice neighborhoods are what are, what are being hit up, as you mentioned, uh, compared to, you know, what it was in the late 80s, 90s. Let's say, for example, somebody does have, you know, a weapon in their in their vehicle, you know, to protect themselves. They get pulled over um, and, you know, whether it's LAPD, Glendale PD, the sheriff's department, doesn't matter who it is. Um, the, 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 the firearm is registered, is legal, you know, but it's in their glove compartment or it's in their, you know, side little storage unit. What happens in that case? I mean, would the, is, does it go from, does it depend on officer to officer or is it something where, you know, it's, it's, it's more of a serious matter? Well, some of it is educational and a person makes an attempt, for example, put in the trunk of the car or um, put the 
the the clip or the ammo one place separate. and the gun and separate the things and so you're making an effort to try and to disable so it's not readily available as you as a driver you know fully loaded gun mm -hmm. that's that's the whole point of the law the intent of Correct. the law and it's up to the deputy or the officer to use that discretion and that's why we figure out okay what is a person trying to do it might be just a, kish, a, a situation of ignorance not understanding and then a little bit of education there goes a long way because Correct. I mean, your, your magazine has to be somewhere else and your gun has to be somewhere else. But, you know, God forbid something happens timing wise. I mean, let's say you're getting robbed. I mean, you're not going to tell the, the criminal, hey, can you give me a second while I just, you know, jump in my trunk really quickly and grab my clip and put it in. Let's say, you know, for their safety and, you know, for their protection, they say, you know what, officer, sheriff, I'm sorry. But uh, with everything going on nowadays, I feel like I, I, I need to carry this until I can get my CCW. I mean, what happens in a case like that? Don't do that. One, because uh, that may jeopardize your CCW. All Definitely, right. but here's the thing. As a law-abiding citizen, you're more people are going to do that. When you have more smash and grab, more people are going are gonna to mm -hmm. do that. I'd rather the cops know that I have it than not have one when I need one. And and all the commenters who are from Nevada, Arizona, they all say, from their experience, the uh, law enforcement actually feels safer and less intimidated knowing that the citizens can and will protect themselves rather than what you're saying is you're, you're concerned in L.A. that um, you're not going to know how to treat the suspect based on if everybody you if you assume everybody's carrying, then now you got to, in a sense treat everybody almost like a like a criminal in a sense but but from what some of the viewers from other states are saying that it's it's actually the other way around mm, i i i take it to uh, be a cop in one of the other states and and get a different opinion and i've and i've spoken uh, i've listened to uh, cops in other states and it doesn't run the same narrative because one thing is to be from the side of the the perspective of the civilian who was armed and say otherwise a law-abiding citizen right and others being the cop pulling over that that person it's a different uh it's a different take yeah okay um do, no go ahead good go. i was gonna say do you have any questions do we have any other questions as far as from the audience before I, we jump into the next topic Sure. Actually, one of my uh, and I've spoken about before is that one I don't believe in gun grabbing anything like that. That's now if it, if you own it legally, it's yours. Keep it, and government doesn't need to go out there and, and confiscate your weapon. If there's anything that has to do with a uh, like I call weapons of war, assault rifles or uh, what's an assault rifle? Well, I want to get rid of the term assault rifle. How about <laughs> yeah. rifles, semi-automatic rifles with detachable magazines, which easily becomes something that you can you know, do a lot of damage with. I like to see them not being made anymore and not being sold. If you own it, great. Keep it. Cherish it. Pass it on to your kids. Baby it. But the point, yeah, baby, yeah, do all that stuff. You can nurture it. You can put it in an altar, worship, whatever you want to do. That's great. But it's just we confiscate them from bad guys or we recover them from crime scenes at great expense. And then all we're doing is we build more and sell more, build more, sell more. You know who does really good with selling guns? Mr. Biden, President mm -hmm. Biden himself. Mm -hmm. Gun numbers, purchase of guns have gone up since he became oh, yeah. president. So I just like to see those 
just not in circulation anymore. You're talking about like the ARs, the AKs, uh, those semi-automatics? Those ones, right. You don't use them for hunting. You don't use them for hardly anything. So the ones that are out there in circulation, great. Keep them. Well, one of our viewers, Levick, actually says an AR is probably one of the best guns for home defense. I mean, I disagree. I, I think of, I agree with them. I think one of the best guns for home defense is a shotgun. There's nothing that beats a shotgun for home defense. Boom, there you go. Wow. Yeah, That's AR-15. The sheriff himself. <laughs> is uh, has a specific purpose, but we don't use it for defense, those type yeah. of things. Because, uh, I mean, as soon as they hear it just cock, I mean, it's just... It has its language. Exactly. Yeah, The um, but you see our, our SWAT team, they use MP5s. There you go. Oh. When they do the sniper thing, they use a 91 H&K. So they... Uh, Different uh, different weapon choices, but for patrol deputies, home defense, a shotgun with a double-odd buck, you know, works wonders. Mm-hmm. If you have a mean streak in you, a rifle slug, you know, definitely it's it will end anybody's uh, anybody's attempt to try to, uh, you know, break into your house and uh, do harm to your family. Now, as far as, like, for home defense, now there's been multiple conversations that take place as far as how to defend your home. Now, lawsuits have taken place. Again, stories have been told where, you know, a burglar breaks into your home and you take out a gun and you shoot him and then the burglar ends up suing the homeowner and and, and they win. Now, I mean, how much of that is true? Because, again, you get mixed stories and all that stuff. Uh, and again, uh, now I don't know if the if, if let's say for example the burglar is blur, burglar is unarmed. They have or they have a knife. Let's let's call them armed with a knife. They could break into your home, and you shoot them. Don't kill them, but you shoot them, and they end up suing you. I mean, is that the times where they've been, from my understanding, where they've been successful in suing is when they're shooting at someone who is running away. So from the back. back from the back or got out the window and in the yard and got shot from the house. Those are the type of ones where it comes back and haunts the homeowner. But I haven't heard of a successful one where the person is actively attacking the homeowner and the homeowner defends himself. In fact, we just had that in Compton, uh, I think a day before yesterday. Homeowner. Homer shot and killed. In the the, driveway. Yeah. So let's look at that guy. He didn't have a CCW. He was in his driveway. Mm-hmm. Which means he's about to get in his car and leave. Well, in your own he's home, on. you don't need it, right? Don't need it in your own home. Yeah, but he's about to leave. He was about to leave with a gun on him, right? That I don't know. He's in his driveway getting in his car. Mm-hmm. He's armed. Yeah. Or so, he may be in his driveway because someone was trying to break into his car. He went out to see what was going on. That's a possibility. Yeah. But if he, was, if he wasn't armed, he was going to be another victim. Now he's not a victim anymore. He wins, thanks to the Second Amendment. Now, we have you as a sheriff. We're happy because we know our Second Amendments are going to stay in our hands. Mm-hmm. How long is that going to last? Well, as long as I'm sheriff, that's going to stay that way. You know, I, I'm a firm believer. I own, I own several weapons myself, and I've just acquired them over the years because of what I do for a living and uh, keep them safely stored. I have a secured locked area, and uh, no one has access to them but myself. Now, if somebody lives in Burbank, Glendale, these, let's say a city that's incorporated and has their own police department, do they have to initiate the process through the local police department before uh, the L.A. County? or They, they used to, but no longer. No longer. Now you can uh, uh, just apply straight to the department. And the most efficient, quickest way to do it is online. 
Yeah, you can you, you can go through the process online. Online. Their LASD.org website. Yeah. There's a, a link there for uh, CCWs. Um, we have a lot of questions about the mandate. Um, you know, some of the mandates were uh, put on hold till January by, uh, was it 5th District Judge? I think it was. Um, but overall, there's still a lot of so, rest. So, sorry, before you say sure. anything, uh, Levy, uh, Sheriff did not say he wants to ban rifles. I just want to clarify that. He did not say that. He said, if you own a rifle, pass it down, put it on display as a samurai sword, whatever the hell you want to do with it. He did not say he wants to ban rifles. Sorry. There's no there's no use stop making them. There's no use for it. That's yeah. why not, I want to stop making them. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. just a clarification. Which sorry. is not a decision of the sheriff. He, that's no. a personal he wants. Yes. Yeah. Good. So, sorry. So, so as far as mandates goes, when you know, from ma- mask mandates to providing a vaccine card to enter a restaurant, how how much say do the actual business owners have? Um, and then how much say do the con- does the consumer have? And then you as the sheriff department, how much how much power do you have to support or to the mandates or to to fight against it and not to actually, um, you know, because some some places you walk into they'll say you know we'll we'll call the cops and obviously that's a waste of time for the cops they're mm-hmm. not social workers, but how how are you dealing with it as a sheriff as far as the mandates go? I know you've you've said it in many interviews that you're you're against the mandates but what's being done to actually remove the mandate so that we don't have to deal with showing passports to go to a restaurant with the family because you want to sit inside or whatnot well those mandates are being imposed by the the city of la the county of la for example mm-hmm. and uh I- individual cities have their own variations of it but most of this most of the cities in la county are following the lead of the county mm-hmm. and because uh, very few have their own health order. I think Pasadena has their health officer yes. and Long Beach. Yeah. And that's there's, it. I think may, maybe one more or there's two. I think some want to have their own health officer uh, or not because okay. they got tired yeah. of Barbara Ferrer. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> can't blame them for that. Exactly. But um, we don't, uh, as a matter of course, if a business owner calls us, about a vaccine or a mandate or anything kind of, we'll go there in response to a business dispute, but it remains a business dispute. And uh, we're going to leave it at that. I think they're very poorly thought out. The whole thing about vaccine mandates is uh, it's a political mandate. It's not one built on science. The vaccines and the effectiveness is science. Yes, no problem with that. But when it comes to the mandates, that's an entirely different arena but the politicians like to conflagrate the two and say that oh the vaccine mandate is based on science no the vaccine not the mandate Mm -hmm. because you have to when you're studying the effectiveness of a mandate you have to look at the whole picture and the whole picture is not just forcing each person to get the vaccine but what is the outcome if people don't want the vaccine what are the behaviors that follow people start quitting people start patronizing stores because of mandates now we're looking at a bigger picture than just the science of the vaccine itself. And that's a picture that we will not have a clear idea of 10 years from now we will. Of course. When people that are studying that yeah. will have all the data and the outcome. But they're pretending that this, the vaccine mandate is based on science. It is not. It's a political mandate. 
if you look at all the counties that surround LA, none of them have a vaccine mandate. But if I compare the positivity rate, they all look suspiciously the same. So I got a board of supervisors that's trying to force 1% of the county's population to be vaccinated, which is the county workforce, and sell that as a breaker, you know, make or breaker for the health and safety of all of LA County. That's 1%. What about the other 99%? So it's, it, they're just playing games. They got enamored with their, their power to now throw things out there to make a political statement, but it's not based on hard science that's going to improve the overall uh, population. Yeah, it's it's it's. I mean, the mandates have done more damage than good. I personally, as a business owner, have have seen the damage it's done. Yesterday, for example, some uh, lady calls for for her mother who who she wants to place at my facility, and she asked me a couple of questions about you know, does my mom need to be vaccinated? Do I have to be vaccinated to visit her? Uh, I run a senior facility, and. And my response to her was, she's like, wow, I've called so many people and you're the first person with some common sense that I want to come out and meet you. Because everybody else I call, it's like I have to get tested every five minutes to go see my mom and, you know. <laughs> Closed doors <laughs> everywhere. Close <laughs> you got to say hi to them through a window like she's an aquarium goldfish or something. And I, I mean, it's, ridic- it's, it's causing a lot of uh, social and psychological issues but yet nobody seems to be concerned about that and even 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 the testing well, you know let's take it further let's let's sure, go further sure. let's go back to at the very start of the pandemic yeah remember when the county and the infinite wisdom decided who was an essential who was a non-essential right employer right well tell that to the workers that depend on that job to put food on their table how essential their job is no with a stroke of a pen, they destroyed hundreds of thousands of jobs and millions or in businesses and millions of jobs throughout the entire nation. It was rushing and all that. And uh, But then when you, when you go down to the nitty-gritty of it, all they had to do was stop everything for a week, two at the tops, and figure out, okay, hostile environment, can my business survive and operate in a hostile environment, yes or no? And then based on that, then figure out, reconfigure, which people started doing. But by the time they did that, they'd already killed tens of thousands right here in L.A. County alone. All those mom-and-pop businesses that failed went belly up. They had no reason to yeah. to fail at all whatsoever. They could have survived, retooled, and survived. But they took that op- option off the table because they wanted to show how powerful they were. With I'm going to declare the winners and losers here with the scare of the pandemic. And that was an absolute failure. And this, it, it just seems like this whole thing has a, has been a recipe for disaster. From from the shutdowns to the unemployment to the crime rates oh, to well, go inmates, go past shutting down the businesses, and then everything kind of reopened with all the restaurants outdoors. And then towards the end of last member Thanksgiving, hey, let's shut down the outdoor dining too. Yeah, but the movie industry could still do their movies and have but, an outdoor. Yeah, dining. but. And, of course, and then Supervisor Sheila Kuehl, she votes on that, and then she goes to go eat in her favorite outdoor dining in that Italian restaurant. But the point is, and this is how the politics interferes with the science, because if they study the issue, people are social. Yeah. They're going to cra- congregate socially. Definitely. We had convinced a bunch of people to dine outdoors, which is safer than dining indoors. So when you shut down the outdoor dining, where do you think people went? They went indoors. So you actually, that's the driver upwards. 
of uh, the numbers of, of numbers of infections. But then they use those numbers mm-hmm. against so, the people. So that uh, whole idea again, they're not following science; they're following a political ideology, which is bad. I want to stick to just the science. Has that also led to the increase in homelessness in LA, or the, with the shutdowns and oh, the yes. unemployment? It and did. Businesses not being able to reopen. They shut down, or they closed, or dropped the the capacity of a lot of the homeless shelters in half. So that means a lot of the beds no longer became available, and then people started migrating to LA because apparently there's a lot of a lot of free stuff here, great weather. Yeah, and they keep just throwing free stuff. So that we attracted a homeless crowd from out the entire nation. They came here for that reason specifically. What is the county doing to to tackle the homeless issue in, in L.A. County? Mm, the county has no uh, no plan to solve the homeless crisis. They have a plan to perpetuate it because right now almost a million dollars, a billion, not a million, a billion dollars a year is for, I think, $937 million is flowing into the coffers of the 501c3s, the service providers, the consultants, the experts, the studies, and we actually solve the homeless crisis, it all stops. So we can't we can't do that now. So it's to their benefit for this to continue. Too beneficial to, to too many yeah. hands, they they don't want to interrupt it. So when we go in and clean up homeless encampments, get people into shelter, the Times will never admit it. Yeah. They will never mention it. And uh the nonsense continues. Haven't you guys noticed some of these were under the bridges? There were a lot of these encampment areas with of tents. Of course, and all. man. Off of Victory, some of them, off of some of them are not there now. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are not. What's what's what? Where did these guys go? How were they removed from these areas? Well, we cleaned up Venice. We cleaned up San Vicente in front of the VA center. We're working on Olvera Street now, and we're we're cleaning up encampments all over LA County, one by one. Um, the city of Venice was trying to stop you from doing that. Uh, no, the councilman Mike Bonin was trying yeah. to stop. What does clean up mean? How do you how do you guys clean up? Do you well, it's a five step process. This is the homeless outreach service team, mm-hmm. best in the nation, hands down. No one's even close to them. They identify a place worthy of encampment enforcement. They assess every single person, get their whole history establish a relationship with them of trust and they're not there to arrest to use force nothing it's a very humanitarian mission driven by compassion Mm -hmm. to the less fortunate and once they do that assessment they do outreach and they come with the la homeless service authority the department of mental health heck animal control public everybody comes in there to start helping out in the outreach phase then they do a posting they said on this day this place will be cleared and then there's cleanup day. That's the day where everybody is moved into shelters. Everybody is uh, given all the help they need. We have uh, some charities like uh, West Coast Care with Pastor Ron Hooks. He connects homeless individuals with their loved ones out of state mm-hmm. and pays for their reunification out of state. That's how we removed 12 people out of the Venice boardwalk. Hmm. They had 23 states and three foreign countries on the boardwalk. Wow. And we got 12 of those individuals moved out of state back to with their families and their loved ones. So the, you can see there's a lot of the, the Bell Shelter run by the Salvation Army is for homeless vets. And they've taken a lot of our vets from Vicente, 
San Vicente, also from the Venice Boardwalk, from the riverbeds. So we've been very, very busy all over the county at Topanga Canyon now with the high fire danger area, cleaned out the entire thing. So what we're doing is working, but they can't allow us to complete the job in the entire county because it's going to interrupt a lot of cash. Now, as far as the homeless crisis is concerned, I mean, from your experience of what you've seen out in the fields, uh, I mean, is the homeless crisis more of a mental health and drug abuse issue or is it more of a financial issue? 70% best estimate is mental illness and substance abuse, 70%. 30%, the balance, is uh, sudden things that happen on people. People that are marginal, you know, low employment, high rent, for example, they're one cat- cat- catastrophe away. You know, people that don't have two or three months worth of salary saved up for those things, they're living paycheck to paycheck. Well, it takes one disaster, your ass yeah. out, you can't make the rent, they're kicking you out. You have a medical crisis of some sort, a bankruptcy, any of those things. There could be a bad relationship, you're with the boyfriend from hell or the girlfriend from hell, and then all of a sudden it doesn't pan out. Yeah. You're on the street, you're couch surfing, you're bumming off a place to hang your head. Yeah. And those are the people that wind up on the street. The, the ones that go to Hollywood to not be discovered, they're on the street. They have no are, backup plan. Are these the type of shelters where, because there's one in Glendale where I volunteered for uh, several times, and what I loved about their policy was they would provide you shelter for, I believe it was 60 or 90 days, but during that time, you had to show proof that you were either searching for work or in some type of vocational program where you're... Yeah, like how EDD is, basically. you got to continue to look for jobs, go like to interview. <laughs> EDD, I don't EDD, know. I don't know. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> again, they know took they the took EDD advantage EDD, of the EDD yeah. system, but... You mean, you mean pretend to do those things. Yeah, basically, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's why nobody shows up to interviews. <laughs> They're part of the... Literally. Oh I've, I've talked to people that have businesses, and they get people, oh, yeah, I'm going to yeah. come, and they never nobody. show up. 20% show up to an interview. So they just yeah, basically show proof that, oh, look, I applied for the job. I got an interview date, but they never I don't show know. up. Okay. Yeah, so Anyways. that that that's this particular shelter seems to be very effective. And I saw, I've seen several families there with young kids. And then that's why I inquired. And one of the reasons was because during the day, they go out to work or school. And at 5, 6 o'clock is when they all come back to the shelter. They've got these bunk bed type of... Uh, mm-hmm. Living situation. Living situation. And, you know, people like us volunteers could go take food, serve it to them and all that. And it it seems to be very effective. The shelters you're referring to, are they similar to that? Or are they more just you can live there indefinitely in a sense as long as you're off the streets? The ones we use are the ones of that nature. Hmm. Yeah. That actually we have to hold, and this is something that the woke left will never imagine, you also have to hold the 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 homeless accountable to the, yeah. the to the extent that their ability, their mental and physical abilities are. You got to do something for yourself. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Dream Center is a prime example of that. Wonderful shelter run by Pastor Thing Matthew uh, Barnett, and they have a very intensive one year program where they'll take you in, clean you up, get you prepared for the workforce, improve your education. They have a uh, they have for um, homeless uh, female vets. Yeah. They have for families, mothers with you know single moms with kids, and they do a wonderful job. And it's all private donors. 
there's no government mm. money involved at all. So these are very encouraging efforts. And the whole thing is we don't want to be caught doing two cardinal sins that the county does and the city does. One is we don't want to enable dependency. Yeah. And we don't want to normalize deviancy. And they're doing both of those things like crazy. No. Go ahead. What's the sheriff's department going to do to stop these issues? Is there? What's your role in stopping this from getting bigger and bigger? I mean, I live in Sun Valley. We have a big homeless encampment issue mm-hmm. right by my house. I mean, I'll never make a left out of my area. I only go out one way. Well, we're right now, as I said, we're uh, we did Venice, we did San Vicente, we're on Olvera Street right now, and we have several other projects. They're going to be in the city of LA's area that are high, very visible, that are important because it's got to the point now where it's it's uh, overtaken entire communities, and we can't accept that, and uh, we're going to push back on that. So we're showcasing a successful model that works. Our host team model and our protocols, zero arrests, zero use of force, zero lawsuits, and you know this how these uh, encampments look, and there's always a one bicycle chop shop that has you know 50 bikes parked in front all that stuff that's all stolen stuff everything so i mean you have you have encampments with like bedrooms at this point i mean Mm -hmm. they're like two floors with flags and uh i mean there's even homes off of uh off of foothill where i mean you have an rv with a generator i mean should that even be allowed within the city of los angeles i mean you have you have an rv that's parked there seven days a week 30 days a month i mean i I, it's like okay when is this all going to end i mean how could we allow you know an rv being parked with a generator and people just living around it with like tents and stuff well this is where it gets kind of weird because the environmental impact of those people the rvs on jefferson and playa del rey Mm -hmm. the formerly known as uh, the bologna wetlands we're no longer the bologna wetlands and uh all the environmental destruction, all the uh, the human waste that gets tossed right into all of our drainage system our, and our channels and all these different things, it's uh, mind-boggling. Yet the environmental crowd is silent, like they don't say anything. And But they, they get services. I mean, the encampments by my house, Saturdays you see the city coming in offering them trash can services and cleaning the area for them. I mean, I'm paying property tax, yet they have better service than Mm -hmm. I do. Yeah, then some take advantage, some don't. But the problem is, especially when you have people bringing in food to an encampment, all you're encouraging is a bigger encampment. Like the saying goes, what happens when you feed the pigeons? You get more More pigeons. pigeons. And that's exactly what we're seeing. When the Venice Boardwalk got cleaned up, there was still St. Joseph Center and the County of L.A. brought in their big uh, trailer with all the tables open up to give away free food to people who are no longer there. Yeah. Why? No. For um, homeless shelters, their established shelters, yes, that's the point where you want to provide the food and the services. Otherwise, you're just expanding you know, the size of the encampments if you keep you know, providing all these things in other places than shelters. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, the whole RV situation is like, okay, if an RV is parked there, why not just, you know, go go to them and just basically say, you know what, you're in an RV, go park at a trailer park. 
Why why are you why are you parked on for example on Rinaldi even in uh, Porter in the Granada Hills Porter Ranch area? They park on Rinaldi or they set up tents on Rinaldi and literally a block up from there you have beautiful homes i mean mm-hmm. it, it kind of destroys the neighborhood i mean mm-hmm. what can be done about that even uh, the park down uh, in granada hills as well you have all these homeless that, that are basically just in camp you know camping out there i did a, a town hall over there in granada hills uh-huh. this is john lee's district yeah and it was I had a lot of angry residents there but the bottom line city government county government you have to regulate public space period otherwise we have in L.A. County a quarter of the entire nation's homeless population, and that number is going to keep growing as long as we have the sucker sign you know, on our foreheads. So we got to stop that, got to regulate public space, got to use law enforcement as intended purpose. Yeah. What about as far as working differently with the system? For example, okay, let's say you know, right below a freeway bridge, there's a, bun- there's a homeless encampment. Walking up to them and saying, okay, listen, you guys could camp out here, no problem, but... Once a week or every other week, just to f- for your safety, we're going to be power washing under the bridge. So we want you guys to clean up your stuff, power mm. wash it, You're clean it up. You're enabling it. That's and then, enabling. No, 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 no. Listen, it but listen, it's like, we'll power wash it, and then you'll bring your stuff back. One week, two weeks, three Imagine them having to move all that stuff constantly. Mm-hmm. You don't think that'll be something where they'll be like, holy shit, I'm sick of this. I got to get out of here. No. There's, there's things we can do, um, but we just have to have the big plan in mind, which is get people the help they need, get the, the space returned to the local community. And the status quo is not going to work. And every single person who claims that we're going to build their way out of the homeless is full of shit. Yeah. Straight up. 100%. All right. Well, one last question about, um, I know some of, some of the, a lot of the viewers were asking about the, uh, the situation in, uh, I forget when when exactly it was as far as the uh, uh, there was a forum held for to discuss issues in the Azerbaijani American community mm-hmm. and some people think you were hosting that event the forum and some people oh, think, yeah so <laughs> now can you can you shed some light I, on, on I can tell you exactly what, what, what took place and why because there was even a uh, council member from from Montemelo Montemelo. who supposedly resigned uh, from the uh, youth organization. Uh, youth organization due to this matter. No, that's uh, the events are wrong. That councilman actually was voted out of office in Montemelo, and he resigned and got voted out at the same time for an entirely different issue. But yeah. fast forward to this thing with Azerbaijan. There was a commander from our department who uh, runs a community advisory council, mm-hmm. and there was two different chiefs of police. They were invited to a community engagement with the Council of Pakistan, and unbeknownst to them, we had uh, uh, two councils, I think, from Turkey and Azerbaijan. Yeah. And so the law enforcement, they were just there, you know, representing law enforcement. And then there was a video that was shown of some kind of a, a propaganda piece of some sort. So they, they had no idea what this stuff was. And I think that was uh, unfortunate because... But it was being held at the sheriff's department, no, correct? No. Was it being held at one of their centers? Is that what it is? No. No, they were just invited guests, and then they were kind of like... Thrown into it. Thrown into it, and there's this video, and they had no idea what the... They had no idea of anything of the context of what it was. But then people right away on social media made up all these big conspiracy stories, and it went wild, and it 
Yeah, the whole there thing was, was fabricated. Yeah, yeah, there was photos of a sheriff's department, uh, you know, somebody from the sheriff's department. It was a sheriff, um, LAPD, and then it was another officer with the lobbyist no. or whoever it was with the Azerbaijani flag and the American flag. And I'm looking at this, and a lot of our Armenians are looking at this and saying, you know, you know, sorry for my French, but what the fuck is going on? I mean, well, that now you know the backstory that the people that went there from law enforcement it wasn't LAPD. It was Artie Parman and two other PDs. I can't remember whether they, they were the chiefs of the two PDs. And they had no idea the context of what they were seeing. They were just thrown into there. And uh, so I'm not very happy about that. I would suggest, I mean, you should know where you're going. You know, if you're a chief, you got to know where you're going and what kind of situation you're putting yourself into. Well, like, but then again, like sheriff, you came here, you knew who you were sitting with, mm-hmm. right? And these people need to know where they're going. But then again, if they're sold one thing, and then seeing what you what was there when you get there is a different animal, you know. And they had the capacity to react or just kind of sit quietly and just kind of listen. And I mean, that's it. But I think uh, I think it was a good lesson in uh, in vetting things more thoroughly. Yeah, yes, no. And uh, but. Uh, Anybody who's trying to take umbrage or a false sense of, of outrage, uh, no, just yeah. stop it right there. I mean, one thing that, you know, the sheriff and, uh, you know, the uh, police officers that, you know, when they were there, they got there. The one thing that they could have avoided doing was take the photograph. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the photograph alone is was ammunition for, uh, you know, the Azerbaijanis. And, and I, I mean, call them what you want to call them. I call them. A terrorist organization. They're a disgusting terrorist organization that basically, you know, you have sheriffs and police officers, you know, taking photos with them with the flag right behind them. And I mean, uh, these are people that massacred multiple, you know, millions of Armenians. And for me to see something like that and our community see something like that, it's it's disgusting. I mean, is there maybe a statement or something that can be, uh, you know, brought issued, issued we- by the Sheriff's Department and we, the Police Department? We met uh, last week with the Consul General of, Ar- of Armenia. He came to our office, so we had a good discussion about it, and it's no longer an issue. I think that was uh, it, that was a, an opportunity. People had an agenda, and the, the, the three officers there were had no idea what their agenda was. So I think we can't draw any inference that there was some willing participation or any statement to be made on that, and I think it's just uh, we just got to be a little uh, a little more cognizant of the dangers when people have agendas. Now, now you have a re-election coming up, right? Yes. Which is when? Uh, June. June. Next year. June of next year, because we have obviously a large following and the Armenian community, uh, which majority support you. Uh, what are to kind of I, I know you're you're short on time and we have to wrap it up. So as, as far as uh, for your upcoming re-election, what are some of the issues that you're going to be tackling for the uh, community in Los Angeles? Not the Armenian community, overall, for everybody. Mm-hmm. LA. The L.A. Uh, well, we have three big threats. It's the homelessness crisis, mm-hmm. violent crime, and, the, uh, and then the uh, illegal marijuana grows and dispensaries. Those yeah. three things are dominating all our efforts you can see with the smash and grab the the follow home uh, robberies all these things on the violent crime you're seeing on the homeless front that those are it yeah for me election wise well i got eight people running against me allegedly we'll see how many people show up on the ballot but uh 
the, everyone who runs against me has to lie pretty much, uh, if not once, twice. They have to lie about what I've done and pretend I haven't done anything. And then they have to lie about what they did when Lee Baca was in charge in Paul Tanaka. So uh, all I, I can tell them is good luck with that. It's a free country. But I'm here to keep the Office of Sheriff independent of the Board of Supervisors. They all want to become the puppet sheriff for the board. Okay. Wonderful. Anything else we want to touch base on before we call it a call it a show? Well, there's a lot we could talk about, but I I know the sheriff is uh, it's sure almost enough. noon and yeah yeah I know you're you have can we have you uh, back soon, sheriff? <laughs> maybe tw- maybe mid 2022 <laughs> before uh, the elections. Maybe? Yes, I will definitely. Yes. Yeah. I'll, all right. I'll, good, I'll stop good. by here, and you guys let me know. And uh, it's a. Uh, I know when my schedule gets down to 15-minute increments, it's, oh, Lord Jesus. <laughs> well, 15 minutes, 15 minutes, 15 minutes. Hey, 45 40 minutes. minutes. We all have two yeah. kids, so we yeah. can get this together. <laughs> there you I go. mean, if we, had a, if we had the fourth wise nut, it'd be, you know. <laughs> One hour. Yeah, we'd have a full hour. But we, we truly, truly appreciate you taking time out of your hectic, busy schedule to sit down with us for, uh, you know, the two hours that you took um, to discuss multiple, multiple topics. Um, really, truly, truly appreciate it, Sheriff. Thank you so thank much. Thank you very much. You got to thank you, folks, for your hospitality. And uh, just like I learned in the past experience, I I'm here to speak candidly, openly yeah. about topics, and I speak to everybody. I speak to uh, Democrats, Republicans, liberals, conservatives, and I don't hold anybody hostage. You, anything they said prior, that's no indictment or endorsement of anything. I'm here just to what's here and now, and to speak to your audience who are. Uh, a lot of Angelinos in that audience, and uh, yeah. I'm a, I'm elected sheriff for everyone, not just one part of the county. Definitely, yeah. we're very happy to have yeah. you. Thank Definitely, you very thank much. you to you, thank you to your posse that was <laughs> hanging out with us prior to you getting here as well. Uh, really, really appreciate it, Sheriff. Thank All you again. You got uh, it. Everybody else, thanks for tuning in. Again, like, share, subscribe, uh, send the video to everybody. Uh, the podcast itself will the podcast itself will be up today. It'll be on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and everything. Uh, all the major platforms today. So. Give it about maybe another two hours and it'll be up on those platforms. Other than that, we'll see you guys on Monday with our regular scheduling. Uh, Have a great week. Have a great weekend and uh, see you Monday. See you Monday.